A cheerful Sunday school song from my childhood, and perhaps yours as well, contained a truth that I did not grasp at the time. We sang the lyrics, I don't want to be a Pharisee, because they're not fair, you see, without understanding the full meaning of those words. As I peel back the pages of scripture and history as an adult, I now comprehend who the Pharisees truly were. Religious leaders of great piety who prioritized strict adherence to ritual and law without compassion. Though seemingly devoted to their faith, they sought vain honor for themselves and reacted with judgment, not mercy. As children, we captured this complex dynamic in a simple rhyme without grasping the wisdom it imparted. Now, I heed that song's lesson. And after this episode is over, I hope you do as well. My name is Jared Luchibor, a graduate of Mid-America Reform Seminary and a lover of church history. Today we will explore the Pharisees. Often portrayed as enemies of our Lord, the Pharisees had significant influence in ancient Judea. We'll catch a glimpse of timeless truths for what their legacy means for you as a Christian today. All of this and more in this episode of The Church History Project. Before exile ravaged their homeland, the priests of ancient Israel stood as stewards of the faith, guardians charged with governing temple ritual and overseeing spiritual affairs. When Jerusalem fell in 586 BC and her people were scattered, the priests witnessed powerless as flames consumed their temple, the beating heart of the nation's worship. Bereft of sanctuary, exiled Jews banded together, gathering where they could to seek solace and maintain community. In these unlikely synagogues, which means bring together, established across the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews after exile, it was scribes, the scholars and interpreters of Jewish law who filled the vacuum left by the exiled priests. With open scrolls and seeking souls before them, scribes nurtured unity and offered continuity, their teachings upholding tradition even as exile threatened its torn threads with fraying beyond repair. Out of despair emerged hope, as scribes sustained culture and codex while waiting to restore what was lost in the ashes of their temple. In 538 BC, the Persian king Cyrus the Great issued an edict permitting the Jews held captive in Babylon to return to their ancestral homeland. These learned men, these scribes, likely journeyed alongside the returning exiles to re-establish their people's traditions and faith in the newly refounded temple. More so than the ceremonial offerings and rituals conducted by the priests, these scribes placed the utmost importance on living righteously through personal devotion, bodily purification, charitable deeds, and strict observance of Jewish laws and commandments. Both those preserved for generations by word of mouth and those painstakingly transcribed in scrolls. The scribes became local fonts of religious teaching and guidance, their long exile having transformed them from mere copyists of texts into vital stewards of their spiritual heritage. In time, these scribes coalesced into a fellowship known as the Hasidim, the pious ones, who sought to uplift their brethren through study and exaltation of the divine ways. Yet, in the days of the Hasmonean dynasty, the consolidation of priest and king rang hollow to the Hasidim. They looked cynically at the authority in the hands of the priest kings. 
And so, it was at this time that the Hasidim likely transformed into a sect calling themselves the Pharisees, the separated ones. Though they lacked the birthright to serve in the temple, the Pharisees saw themselves as upholding the torch of spiritual truth and interpretation of the Torah. Through learning, prayer, and exhortations to the people, they hoped to turn all Jews into a people of priests and scribes. In this quest to bring ritual awareness to the common folk, the Pharisees would author a defining chapter in the saga of the Jewish nation. The Pharisees were adherents of a school of thought within Judaism centered around strict observance of religious law, or halakha. They preached the divine origin not just of the written Torah and the whole Old Testament, but also of an oral tradition said to accompany and elucidate the Torah. This additional compendium of legal and ritual clarifications, an ever-evolving body of interpretation and commentary passed from generation to generation, was viewed by the Pharisees as no less authoritative or sacred than the text of the Torah itself. Such unyielding dedication to observing both written and oral law inevitably brought the Pharisees into conflict with the Sadducees powerful elites within the Jewish priestly caste who rejected any extra-scriptural doctrine. The Sadducees professed to see no evidence within the Torah's verses to support the validity of an accompanying oral tradition. This rejection of scrupulously compiled commentary and clarification incensed the Pharisees, who saw it as an arrogant disregard for institutions of faith which had long formed a bedrock of Jewish identity. It was to them an insult to generations of thoughtful scholars who had refined and perpetuated Judaism's complex legal code. So, while the Pharisees prided themselves on practicing true faith through exacting rigor, the Sadducees dismissed such stringency as empty superstition far removed from divine mandate. This unbridgeable divide would color interactions between the two groups for centuries. The Pharisees emerged as a party devoted to strict observance of Jewish law and tradition during a turbulent time for Judea. The land was caught between the influences of Hellenism and the domination of the Roman Empire, which had conquered the Jewish homeland. Assimilation threatened to erode Jewish cultural and religious identity. In response to these dual threats, the Pharisees preached strict obedience to Jewish law as laid out in scripture and the growing body of oral tradition. They viewed themselves as defenders of God's covenant with Israel against corrupting foreign influences. As mentioned before, their name Pharisee meant the separated ones, referring to their separation from practices or beliefs they viewed as impure. The Pharisees believed that Israel's subjugation under Rome was a punishment from God for the people's disobedience and lack of zeal for the law. In their view, the proper response was national repentance, ritual purification, and a rigorous adherence to religious observances in order to win back God's favor. This included practices like tithing, Sabbath observance, dietary restrictions, and ritual purity laws governing activities like childbirth and burial. Only by demonstrating perfect obedience as a nation could Israel regain its sovereignty and independence in their view. So they placed heavy emphasis on education and religious training for the common people, not just the priestly clans. They also promoted the role of local teachers and synagogues in every village and town to encourage adherence. 
The survival of Jewish identity under foreign rule depended upon obeying God more zealously than ever in the Pharisees' perspective. Their vision called for ordinary Jews to become a nation of priests upholding sacred duties, not just elites. In this way, they hoped strict observance would maintain cultural integrity against assimilationist threats. The Pharisees strictly adhered to their religious traditions, particularly oral teachings that had been passed down over generations. This zeal brought them into conflict with Jesus Christ and his teachings during his time on earth. The Gospels portray several encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees, revealing diverging perspectives on faith. While the Pharisees zealously guarded their ancestral traditions, Jesus preached a message of inward transformation and pure devotion to God that often clashed with Pharisaic customs and practices. These accounts signal rising tensions between Jesus and powerful religious gatekeepers of his day. We'll take a look at a couple of them. In Luke 5, 27 through 32, as Jesus was walking along the road one day, he happened upon a tax booth where a man named Levi sat collecting taxes and fees. Tax collectors were seen as turncoats by their fellow Jews for collaborating with the Roman occupiers. Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Levi immediately left his tax booth behind and hosted a large banquet in his home, inviting all of his friends and fellow tax collectors to meet Jesus. The Pharisees and teachers of the law who were following Jesus saw that he was eating and drinking with these tax collectors and other sinners at Levi's banquet. They asked Jesus' disciples critically, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard their question, he told them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus explained that he came to guide sinners onto the right path, not spend time with people who already considered themselves to be righteous. Just as a doctor aims to heal those who recognize their illness, Jesus was focused on transforming hearts and lives burdened by sin. Though the religious elites followed all the religious rules, they lacked love and mercy towards others, unlike our Lord. On one notable occasion recounted in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, Jesus found himself confronted by a delegation of Pharisees and religious lawyers who had journeyed from Jerusalem. Upon witnessing some of Christ's disciples partaking of food without first performing the ceremonial hand-washing customs mandated by the strict oral tradition of the elders, these visitors were scandalized. They indignantly challenged Jesus. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? In their minds, to neglect these long-standing rituals governing diet and ceremonial washing was to risk spiritual pollution and estrangement from God. In response, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees with bold and unsparing reproof. He accused them of abandoning God's true commandments in order to zealously guard their own extra-biblical rules and customs. Christ said to them, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He condemned them for expending such effort on minor outward rituals while neglecting deeper integrity of heart. Their strict adherence to man-made tradition brought followers no closer to God, serving only to crush people under burdensome legal strictures. 
Their claims to piety were hollow if they enabled hypocrisy and failed to transform the inner person. Jesus yearned for true change of heart, not empty shows of outward purity through ceremonial washings. In elevating their tradition as equal or superior to scripture, he saw the Pharisees as promoting the doctrines of men, not the commandments of God. In these encounters and others, there is a recurring tension between Jesus and the Pharisaical authorities concerning legalistic observance of man-made rules and rituals versus the spirit of God's law and compassion towards others. Jesus challenges the rigidness and hypocrisy that he perceived in the Pharisees' application of religious codes. Overall, Jesus portrays himself as the authoritative interpreter of religious law who fulfills God's intentions while critiquing the legalism and hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In the wake of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the relationship between his followers and the Pharisees grew increasingly strained and complex. At first, these early Christians were but a small offshoot of Judaism itself, and indeed counted among their number former Pharisees who had come to accept Christ's teachings. However, as the good news spread and Christianity began to take root, the Pharisees turned a wary eye upon this new movement. They had already viewed Jesus himself as a troublemaker threatening their own authority amongst the people. Now, they aimed their ire and suspicion at his disciples. A stark Christological chasm yawned between the early Christians and the Pharisees, kindling a fire of animosity. The earliest worshippers of Jesus proclaimed with daring solidarity his status as God incarnate, the long-foretold Messiah sent to redeem his people. Those versed in the Law and the Prophets, by contrast, spurned such startling declarations about the carpenter from Galilee. To suggest that this provincial wanderer shared the identity and authority of Yahweh was, in their judgment, insufferable heresy. And so the all-consuming question that plagued religious discourse across Judea were the words of Jesus himself, Who do you say I am? Words which provoked hostile reactions rather than thoughtful reflection. Contempt rather than empathy shaped the Pharisees' posture toward those embracing the teachings of Christ's disciples, whom they sought to silence through harassment and harm. However misguided their methods, the Pharisees nursed a conviction that they were protecting the sanctity of eternal truth from those peddling dangerous lies. But ironically, in opposing the early church so bitterly, they fulfilled the ominous words uttered by their Messiah, They will put you out of the synagogue. Though friction marked early relations between followers of Christ and devotees of the Pharisaic tradition, glimmers of goodwill nonetheless pierced the darkness. Noble Gamaliel, a venerable Pharisee and Sanhedrin elder, risked the fury of his peers by interceding on behalf of the persecuted, as we read in Acts 5, 33-42. He said, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. The most notable convert from the sect of the Pharisees to Christianity was Saul of Tarsus, who was fastidious in his observance of Jewish law. Yet he had looked on with vehement approval as the followers of Christ were persecuted for their seeming blasphemy, even guarding the robes of those who stoned the impassioned Stephen to death. 
But Saul's righteous zeal would be consumed by a greater flame on that fated journey to Damascus. As Saul and his companions rode the dusty road, the Pharisee was suddenly enveloped by a brilliant light and shaken by a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He couldn't help but obey the divine command to proceed henceforth to Damascus. In that city dwelt a disciple named Ananias, who was at that moment summoned in a vision to go to the house of Judas. There he would find a man called Saul of Tarsus, around whom scales had freshly fallen from newly opened eyes. Ananias faithfully tended to this former Pharisee, restoring his physical sight even as spiritual sight flooded Saul's soul. After arising to be baptized, the prior persecutor was born anew, filled now with the same gospel flame he had once sought to extinguish in others. This Paul, as he would now be known throughout the book of Acts, would soon set the whole world aflame with the truth of good news. As we have seen, the Pharisees were devout keepers of Jewish law and tradition who zealously guarded the faith of their ancestors. Yet their stringent rules and harsh judgment of outsiders ultimately blinded them to the presence of the Messiah in their midst. In their defense of ancestral tradition over a true recognition of God's word, the Pharisees failed to embrace the fulfillment of all the law's intentions when the word became flesh to dwell among humanity. As Christ stretched out arms of compassion to the disreputable and the lost, the gatekeepers of the Jewish faith were far too outside the bounds of the letter in order to discern the hour of visitation when, at last, Emmanuel stepped into their streets. As modern followers of Christ, we must be wary of the age-old temptation to supplement divine truth with the restrictions and rituals of our own design. Much like the Pharisees who came before, there lurks within our hearts the prideful notion that we might enhance by human effort the grace that comes only from God. We therefore do well to look to scripture alone as our guide, embracing fully the freedom of the gospel. With patient and prayerful study, may we grow into a greater understanding and experience of Christ's presence on every page of God's word. May we model ourselves after his compassion as much as his truth. For even in our rigor to defend orthodoxy, we know that right belief devoid of love betrays the very gospel we strive to contend for. Let this be our daily task, to center always on Christ, the source of truth and grace alike. May we drink deeply from the scriptures to know him better and the power of his resurrection. And may others know we are his by both our steadfast devotion to gospel truths and our love. For doctrine has value only if it leads us to greater obedience to the timeless command to love God and neighbor. Walking faithfully with Christ day by day, we wait with hope for the fuller coming of his kingdom. And as we wait, may we live and relate to others in ways that signal the kingdom's nearness. May the witness of our lives in word and deed lead others to give Christ glory, the ultimate aim of all sound doctrine and practice. Next time, we'll explore the Zealots, the party of terrorists and freedom fighters in the land of Judea. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. 
Feel free to reach out through social media platforms or through email, which you can find in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, consider leaving a review. I'm Jared Luchibor. This has been an episode of The Church History Project. <laughs>